0: Good morning. Morning, Samuel. Let's try this again. Good morning. Morning. Good morning. All right. There are people alive and awake today. It's good to worship the Lord, is it not? You know, it's interesting. I'm going to do a little side note here. So we just sang hymn number 201. Oh, come all ye faithful. One thing stood out to me while we were singing, and I haven't really been thinking a lot on it lately, but. In verse 2, it says, O sing, all ye citizens of heaven above. Have you guys stopped and thought about that fact alone, that we are citizens of heaven already? That when we are called Christians, as we are adopted into the family of God, we have now changed our citizenship from this world to the eternal, from this place to the place where God dwells. So every time we think of missionary work, right, we think of people that go overseas oftentimes or go to a different country or go somewhere else. Oftentimes there's a lot of missions done in our own country. But think of this. If our citizenship is in heaven, the whole earth is our mission field because it is not our home. Therefore, we are all foreign missionaries. We are all missionaries on the field that God has placed us in. Because he has given us citizenship in heaven, therefore we ought to be about the things that are pleasing to our Lord. Because those are the things that his kingdom is founded on. Just a little side note. One of those funny little things when you sing a song, once in a while things pop in your head. It's been a while since we've been in the book of James. Um, if you guys remember where it is, it's in the New Testament, before First Peter, after Hebrews. James, we're in chapter 3. And we've already gone verses 1 through 5a, so we're going to pick up in 5b and continue on to verse 12. So we got a chunk to cover this morning, and I'm going to hit the ground running with it, because you all know I can be long-winded at times. So we're going to go ahead and read this morning together. We're going to pray, and then we're going to dive in and see what the Lord has for us this morning. So I've had three weeks to chew on this section of verses since it's been a little while since we were in the book of James. James chapter 3, starting in the second half of verse 5. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body, and sets on fire the course of our life, and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. Let's take a minute to look to the Lord and ask his blessing this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the absolute wonderful privilege to gather together today as your children to sing praises to your name, to worship you. Father, we just pray that as we come before you this morning to worship through the reading and understanding of your word, we just ask that we would do so in holy attire. Father, we just ask that you will guard our hearts and our minds from wandering, but that you will help us to see what you have for us this morning. For your word is never void. Your word always accomplishes that which you send it out for. That is a promise that you have given us in your word. And Father, we believe it. So Lord, we just ask that you will just guard our hearts and our minds. We just ask that you will open our understanding that we may digest more of your word, that we may be made more like you. And Father, we just ask that you would be pleased in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. The year was 1871. It's a good year, right? I like the 1800s, personally. Thought it would be a great time to live. But, anyway, years 1871. There is a woman by the name of Mrs. O'Leary. You already know where I'm going, don't you? (laughs) I'm sure Lanson would know, too. He's a history buff. You know, too? Excellent. So, 1871, a woman by the name of Mrs. O'Leary. She had a small little house and a small barn in the city of Chicago. Chicago be kind of funny to go to Chicago and see a farm in Chicago this time of year, wouldn't it? That'd be kind of neat. Might have to start that. Anyway, so her cow accidentally kicked over a lantern. That small lantern set fire to the city of Chicago. It was the great fire of Chicago. In that, 250 people died. 100,000 became homeless in a single night. And $175 million worth of damage. Now, think of this. This is 1871, not 2020. $175 million in 1871 worth of damage by one little lantern, by one little light. Now, we sing that great song, This Little Light of Mine, I'm going to Let It Shine, right? Now, this is in comparison to the tongue. This is what we're talking about this morning. So God has blessed us in James chapter 3 as He's talking to these young Jewish men that are going out to start churches, that are going out to be missionaries in the world. His brethren, as He says. So these are men who are Christians. He gets into now a portion of Scripture where He is warning them about the power of the tongue. This morning's message is called Life and Destruction. Because that's what is in the tongue. There is both life and death in the power of the tongue. So this morning, as we reflect on this, I want you guys to continue to digest that little idea of such a small lantern could cause such great destruction. 250 people dead and 100,000 without a home because of one cow. No, it was because of a lantern. But James starts off here in the second part of verse 5, and he says, See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. It doesn't take much. We've had a lot of wildfires raging in our country this last year. We've had a lot of destruction. A lot of people dispossessed of their homes. A lot of people that have photo albums burned up that they'll never get those photos back. That's probably got to be the hardest thing. Things are replaceable. But those images of memories are not. Those are not something you can just pick up and redo. And you can go back, but things change, right? Not everything stays the same. Things are constantly in motion, constantly moving and changing. But we have a lot of destruction due to a lot of foolish people. We had one fire started out west because somebody wanted to have pyrotechnic show for a baby reveal. Now you have millions of acres burned up and thousands of homes burned down. You have people that are careless and toss things out their window, cigarette butts or whatever. It's the smallest thing can cause a great result. It's not always a good one. But this is where James is heading us in this direction. Be careful of how you use your tongue because you carelessly using your tongue can cause great destruction. You can cause great healing, and there's much life in the power of the tongue, but there's also great destruction. But James doesn't stop there and just say be wary because you have this great evil that can take control and you can spew things out of your mouth before you think about it and cause great destruction. He doesn't stop there. He goes on and continues to give examples in nature and give examples in life of how to relate that. How to understand the fact that you on your own are not powerful enough to tame your own tongue. But we know who is. We know that the Spirit of God can tame our tongues. How much time and thought do we put in our words? Y'all have probably heard this before, but I had a great mentor who gave me the challenge and the admonition to not speak for two weeks unless spoken to directly. And y'all know for me that is not an easy task. But it taught me one thing. Oftentimes when people are talking, you're busy thinking about what you're going to say. And oftentimes you don't hear what's actually said. We all struggle with that because we're quick to want to say what's on our mind. We're often quick to change the topic or to bring the focus around to ourselves. How often do we stop and truly listen to what people are saying? I've had this conversation with my kids over the years. There's a difference between hearing and listening. You can hear what's being said, but it doesn't mean you're actually listening to what that means or to what's being said or how it's said. But how many times do we stop, and as James says in chapter 1, to be slow to speak? How many times do we think of what we're going to say through our head before we actually say it? We all know that when somebody publishes a book, what is part of that process? There's an editor, right? And the editor goes through what is written. Why? for the purpose of making sure that, one, it makes sense, for two, that there's fluidity of thought, and three, that it just doesn't go around in a circle or hit every rabbit trail and never get anywhere. It makes sure that the story is concise and set apart, that details aren't missing that are key to understanding what's being written about, that there's not too much, that somebody doesn't take an idea and sit here for ten chapters on one description. Why? Because you lose people. Most people don't have the interest and the time span to sit there and read about one detail for ten chapters. You're going to lose people. But it's the same thing with our thoughts and our speech. Do we temper our speech? Do we edit our speech? Do we take time to stop and to really think about, if I say this, what is the impact? Paul admonishes the Christians to say things that are for the building up of the church, for the building up of people, that which is encouraging. How do you know if it's going to be encouraging unless you stop and think about it? There are oftentimes, and this is one thing where my wife and I have grown in our marriage, she likes to deal with an issue here and now. I don't because I need time to think because if I just deal with it now, I may not say the right thing. And I know that weakness of myself. Praise God, he's given me that understanding over the years. But in that, we've grown in our relationship because now if there's a problem or if there's something we need to discuss and I need time to think about it, she understands I'm not just putting it off to deal with it on your own. It's I need time to reflect. I need time to think of how I'm going to word this. When I have conflicts at work, oftentimes I'll tell the guys, hey, take a break, I'll get back to it. Because oftentimes the first thing that comes out of our mouth isn't necessarily the most beneficial. Or it could be right, but it may be worded wrong. Or it may come out with too much emotion in it. Or it may be taken in the wrong way. Sometimes a quiet answer, as the Bible says, turns away great wrath. And it's very true. But oftentimes if we take two minutes and think about what we're going to say, we can avert great destruction. If Mrs. O'Leary took five minutes to realize that a lantern within kicking range of her cow was probably a bad place to put it. It may not have happened, but it may be. She got rushed. She placed it there. We don't know. It's all speculation. But she could have just rushed and put it there and ran off to do the next thing and totally forgot about it. Oftentimes we do that. How many times have you been confronted in your life with something that you said that you can't even remember that you said it? Yeah, I know. We're all kind of bobbing our heads. We've all done that. We've all been there. So James, in the wisdom given him, is imparting to these young men, especially as ministers of the Gospel, in verse 1, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur stricter judgment. But we are all teachers in one manner or another. We are teaching our children. We are teaching other people in our jobs at times. But the weight that James is going is in the weight of the ministry. As you are teaching and preaching, as you are teaching, teaching young children or you're teaching young marrieds or you're teaching teenagers or older people as you are doing these things be careful how and what you say make sure it lines up as our bible verse this morning our memory verse with sound doctrine be careful because your tongue will set a great fire But we all know fires can be enjoyable, are they not? How many times have we all sat around a bonfire together and you can get lost just sitting there enjoying the flame, the crack, the smoke, and just enjoy the warmth and enjoy the atmosphere that's around that. Fires are useful. Fires can be productive. They can add energy. They can heat a home. They can heat water and make it useful. There's a lot of good practical uses and purposes for it, but it can be very destructive if it's not tamed. If it's not taken care of, if it's not tended, if you do not tend your fire, what will happen? It can either grow out of control or it will go out. It's the same thing with our tongue. If we are not tending our tongues, it can either go out and be useless or it can grow out of control. Or it can be tended to correctly and well and it can be useful and have a good purpose and benefit many. So James, as he's looking at the great destruction of the tongue, he pulls out some ideas of what that can look like. Verse 6, And the tongue is a fire. It is the very world of iniquity. I'm going to stop there for a second. Why is our tongue full of iniquity? Well, because when we don't tame our tongue, when God is not in control of our tongue, it's full of deadly poison, which he gets to. Because oftentimes, the littlest The littlest and most careless thought that comes out of our mouth can cause great destruction that we don't aren't even aware of. We are responsible for what we say. The Lord told us in the end days when we come before Him, we will be held accountable for all that we say. Thus says the Lord. Does He, or does He not? Are is what you're speaking truth, or is it not? Are you speaking life or destruction? The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on course the fire the course of our life. Jesus spoke much about the tongue. Jesus spoke much about sin. And it's not why. It wasn't the hands that defiled the man, but what came out of the heart that came out through the mouth. It's the mouth that defiles a man. Because oftentimes what a man says reflects what's in his heart. Especially when we say something without thinking about it. What comes out quick kind of gives you a glimpse of where you're at. And James says it is set on fire by hell. Why would he say that? What does that mean? Well, it means that the tongue in its natural state, when left untended, is full of hellish things. It's full of destruction. It's full of lies. It's full of murder and envy and strife. It's full of bickering full of wickedness. And wickedness always has its heart and its seat in sin. And we know that sin will be judged in hell. God has set apart a place for sinners. As he has set apart a place for his children. But James is telling us, take it to heart. Because it is serious. This word hell is only used twice in the entire New Testament. And Jesus was the only person that used the variants of this word. It is very important to take heart of what we say and how we say things. How we approach one another. How we build each other up. How we teach one another. Oftentimes we can take a teaching moment and ruin it. Not necessarily by what we say, but how we say it. We can get confrontational instead of getting quiet and gentle. Now James moves on to talk about creatures. And he says in verse 7, For every species of beast and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. Don't get stuck in the literal sense of this phrase here. He's not saying that everybody's going to go out and tame a great white shark. Okay? He's using it in the figurative sense. We have taken animals, jaguars, lions, bears, whales, you name it. Go through the gamut of things. Fleas. You guys ever hear about the, the Mexican circus, that they have those little trained fleas? It's pretty interesting. But we can take all these different creatures that God has made, and we can tame them and make them do things that they don't naturally do. We can take a lion and put our head in the side of a lion's mouth and not have it bite you. You can put a steak in front of it when it's hungry and make sure that it doesn't touch it. There's all kinds of things that man has done and manipulated animals to do the things that they need them to do. Now sometimes they get bit. Sometimes they don't. But the point James is making is, is we can sit here and we can take all these different pieces of creation and we can tame them. But man's tongue is not tameable in man's power. So he's going back to the heart of the Gospel. You need Christ to control your tongue. You need the Word of God to be poured out in your heart and in your mind. Plant God's Word in your mind. Meditate on it. Memorize it. Why? So that way when you speak, that's what comes out. Words of life. Words of healing. We have a hymn that also talks about that. Your tongue is so important because with it we make known the glory of God. With it we make known the truth of the Gospel. But oftentimes with it we tear one another down. We nitpick. We put our priorities and our ideas first and it breaks the heart of God. So beasts and birds have been trained. Carrier pigeons, right? Those are cool. You know, send messages and tell the bird where to go, and they go there. It's amazing what what man has done with creation. It's interesting. But James says in verse 8, and he makes it emphatic, but no one can tame the tongue, for it is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. Take heed of your tongue. And part of that is taking heed of your mind. It's discipline. What did Paul say? I daily beat my body into submission, right? It takes effort. It's not easy. It's hard. But you have to make a conscious effort to do it. How do we do that? Pray. Meditate on God's Word. When you come to a situation where you're tempted to lash out, pause and pray we often neglect the power of prayer god can help you in a situation where you are helpless why because he already did it once right he gave us salvation we were helpless to save ourselves and yet he gave us salvation through christ through the blood of christ can he not help us with our speech what did he say to moses he admonished moses he said was it not i that made the tongue when moses said oh don't send me to pharaoh i can't talk i'm a I don't speak well. You need to get somebody else. And God did. Yet, God admonished Moses and said, was it not I who made man's tongue? His point being, can I not put the words in your mouth that you need to speak? Can I not put truth and life in the power of your tongue? And as we submit more and more to our Lord, as we submit more and more to reading and prayer, God will speak words of life through your tongue. But remember, no man can tame the tongue. It is outside the power of man to do on his own. And he goes on to say, for with it we bless our Lord and Father. Is that not what we're doing here this morning? Many people go to church on Sunday. Many people sing hymns and songs. Many people get the warm and fuzzies. What do we do with that? Is it a Sunday thing? Or is it a life thing? Is this a I come here to get recharged for my week, and as soon as I walk out the door, I forget what I got recharged for. Is it I go here as an outpouring, an expression of what I'm doing on a daily basis. Sunday worship should be an outpouring of what you're doing at home. This is not to be the only place that you worship. This is not to be the only place that you go to sing a song or a hymn. Now, some of us might want to sing by ourselves. Like me, I don't sing very well. So I sing outside when I'm, I don't have anybody around or I have my kids around, so they laugh. But what we do here on a Sunday morning is just an outward expression of what we do individually. But it's also for the purpose of encouragement and equipping one another to do the work of the ministry. That's the point of church. The point of church isn't for the pastor to raise your children. It's not for a youth group to raise your kids and teach them how to be... Godly kids. It's not for a Sunday school teacher to teach your young ones what, the, what it means that Jonah got swallowed by a great fish. Or Daniel was in a lion's den. It is an outward expression of what's taking place already at the home to come alongside and affirm what's being taught. Your kids should know these things. And they should come to church and get affirmed that what is being taught is true. That, oh, there's more than just mom and dad that know this. That there's more to life than just come to Sunday school and recite a few things and then go on my way. The point and purpose of church is to encourage one another to do what we're doing here every day. We bless our Lord and Father, and yet with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. How easy it is to get caught up in talking down about somebody else. We've all done it. We all do it. Especially when we get aggravated, right? We all stumble in what we say. There's not a perfect man among us. But we must be conscious of not speaking ill of other people. And it's hard, especially when your emotions get charged, especially when you're frustrated or angry. But in those times, your true heart speaks. Where are we at? I ask this often. Where are we at? we got to evaluate. we got to look at our hearts. we got to look at our lives. Where are we at? Where are we going? Are we blessing God today and cursing man tomorrow? It's not right. we we'll are get to that. James will say that. It's not right. should not be. To bless God and yet curse somebody that's made in His image because they don't meet your standard or because you don't like the way they are or because they rub you wrong. Or because they do something that you don't think that you don't agree with. Oftentimes it's the little nitpicky things that get us into trouble. It's not necessarily wrong, it's just different. It's one thing I preach at work all the time. It's not wrong, it's different. There's a lot of different ways to get to the same result. Now I'm talking about work, I'm not talking about salvation, so don't take me that way. But in work, Jonathan do something one way. Samuel can do something another way, but you both end up at the same result. If you both get there in approximately the same time with the same amount of resources, it's not wrong, it's just different. But oftentimes we find ourselves degrading somebody because they're trying to go a different route. That's not necessarily wrong, but it's different. We need to be careful of how we approach people. People are watching and listening to what you say. you don't believe me, look at the media. Actually, don't. I don't really care for the media. But anyway, people are watching. How many times have we heard somebody say, you know, I heard you say this one time and it really encouraged me. Or I heard you say this one time and I just didn't get it. Or, you know, or, you know, you said something to you know, this person over here and I was kind of curious as to what you meant. People listen to what you say. People watch you, especially if they know you're a Christian because they're looking to say, aha, look, you screwed up. Yeah, people are like that. And that's okay because you know what? God is faithful even when we are not. But God can turn a bad situation to a good one because God always glorifies himself. Do we do the same? Are we blessing others because everybody is made in the image of God? There's not a person here or a person on this earth that is not made in the image of God. Now the image may be marred and tainted by sin, but no less were they made in God's image at the beginning than Adam and Eve were. Everybody is made in the image of God. And that which God has made is holy and good. When God made man, he said man was very good. Now, is sin good? No. But God loves his creation. God loves that which he made in his image. We were reading through James uh, Job this morning. Jonathan, thank you for doing that. One thought that struck me And it struck me in the past is when Bildad is talking and he's rebuking Job, he makes this statement over and over that the wicked are destroyed, that the wicked are diseased, that the wicked are this. The one thing he can't grasp is that the wicked oftentimes flourish for a season, but they do. And they may flourish in this life, but we all know in the end they're not going to flourish in eternity because man without Christ is gone and lost forever forever. What are we doing with our words? What are we doing with our speech? Are we leading men to Christ or are we pushing them away? Because you're going to do one of two things. You're going to draw men to the Lord or you're going to push them away by what you say. Your words will always do one or the other. Now you may push somebody away because you speak truth. And that's okay. Because it's not up to us to change man's heart. It's up to God. But you are responsible for what you say and how you say it. You are responsible to bring truth to a situation. To bring life instead of destruction. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. James breaks it down for us a little bit more. He gets into the natural understanding of life. God made nature in a very specific created order. God didn't make animal kingdom and the plants and all this to be haphazard and to be chaotic god made a very ordered kingdom and james goes there he says does a fountain send out of the same opening both fresh and bitter water or fresh and salt water you can take it either way that's okay but you're not going to come to a fountain you're not going to come to a little spring just think of a a natural mountain spring that's coming down You're not going to go there and you're going to get fresh water out of this side and salt water out of this side, right? It's not going to happen that way. It's not the way God made it. He says, does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter waters? Can a fig tree produce olives? Or a vine produce figs? Simple questions. God created everything that we see through the words of his mouth. And God blessed it. But God made it very specific. And we can learn a lot about God through creation. There's one thing I absolutely loved about Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards' heart was for God to capture his affections through the natural world around him. To see God in all things. Am I going too long? Okay. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) There you go. Now we're hungry. Yeah, that was funny, wasn't it? (laughs) Back to where I was. Um. So the natural world around us, Jonathan Edwards was a big proponent of understanding and learning God through creation, of having his affections captured for the glory of God. It's something oftentimes we forget. How many times have you guys ridden down a road? You fly down 60 miles an hour. Then one time you might take a bike ride or a horse ride, and you go down the same road and you're like, oh, I never knew that was there. I know I've done that a lot. There's so much more you see when you take life at a slower pace. But how many times do you see something new there and you're like, oh, that's really cool and you think about an attribute of God. Or you think about the, the wondrous glory of His creation. We're very blessed where we live over here. We actually get to see the sunrise and the sunset. And my wife is an avid photographer and she takes a lot of pictures and puts them on Facebook and everybody's always commenting on them. But the beautiful master strokes of God's hand and His creation... To see a beautiful sunset and see the colors and to see the way that God orchestrated it all to come together. It's a beautiful thing to watch. Are we quick to point that out to others? Are we quick to see that God ordered creation in a very specific way? He ordered man in a very specific way. All throughout the Scripture, read over and over, and is to be holy and set apart because he is God's. Because God is holy and set apart and man made his, is made in and man is made in his image, we are to be like him in that aspect. We are to be holy. We are to be set apart. but we can't do that in our own power. We need to do it through the reading of his word, through the meditation of the word, through prayer, through seeking the Lord in all things, through setting aside our privilege and our right to be offended. right? In America, we take great offense at everything. In America, you have the right to be offended any time you feel like it because truth is relative and because everything boils down to what you think and what you feel. This is what we brainwashed our kids with. And then when you go and talk about selflessness and you talk about the actual definition of love, a sacrificial commitment to another's good, they get lost and they give you that deer-in-the-headlights look. Huh? Why? Because truth isn't spoken. Kids aren't confronted with the truth on a daily basis. Kids aren't seeing good examples of truth being lived out day by day. Praise God in this church, they are. But that is getting rarer and rarer in our country. But that gives us more and more opportunity. The more darkness comes, the more that little light will shine. Think about it. When you're in the city, how many stars do you get to see on a daily basis? Not very many, right? We had somebody come up to our farm the other day. They're from the city, and they're like, Wow, look at all the stars. Like, yeah, they're there every night, you know. And it's like, oh, yeah, all the lights from the city, you can't really see. You might see one or two, but you're not going to see very many. But that's what happens when sin comes in. It blinds you to the truth and the reality of God's created. God's, ah, sorry, tongue-tied this morning. God's created order. God made all things beautiful, and he made it in his time. He made it exactly how he wanted it to be. And God orchestrates life on a daily basis for his glory. Do we see that? Are we blinded by all the lights of this world? Do we help people see that one little light? You go to the city and you have a little light. It's not very bright. You go out into the country where it's just dark for miles and you see one light and it's like, oh, it's not that far away. And then you keep driving and driving and driving and 12 miles later you finally get close. Right? It's amazing when the darkness gets dark how bright that one little light is. And as we move in this world and as we continue to grow towards the culmination of Christ's return, which is imminent, it will come. As we get closer to that, the world will get darker. But you know what? You will get brighter. You will have more opportunity to share the gospel. You have more opportunity to see what's around you in the light of what it is. And you'll have opportunity to speak to that. But only if you're in God's Word. Only if you're in prayer. Only if you are seeking to use your tongue in a life-giving way. Salt water cannot produce fresh. That's where James ends it. Salt water cannot produce fresh. Now, I know in all our technology that we come up with, we can take salt water and we can make some fresh water come out of it. But naturally, it doesn't happen in nature. You're not going to take salt water and produce fresh out of it. So, what do we get from that? You are the salt of the earth. We heard that before, right? Yeah, Jesus said that. You are the salt of the earth. If you lose your saltiness, what use are you? And I don't mean saltiness in the way that we've used it in the past of if somebody's salty, they've got that abrasive personality. No. I'm talking about a useful personality. To flavor. To melt. To add substance. There's a lot of purposes. What do we do? We have we an have older horse. He's about 33. His name's Earl. Earl doesn't drink enough water. So what do we do? We add a little salt to his diet. What does that do? Causes him to drink water. What does that do? Causes him to be healthier. It's the same thing with our lives. As we add salt to people's lives, it's to make them thirsty for the truth of the gospel. We are to be used of God to bring others to Christ not our job to change their hearts, but it's our job to bring the truth that can change the heart. So James' heart for these young men as they're going out to preach the gospel is be careful with what you say. Take heed of that which you say. Is it for the benefit of others and the glory of God, or is it for the benefit of yourself and the destruction of others? That's where we're at. There's no gray areas with God. I love that. That's one thing. I'm a very black and white person anyway, so this really fits in great with me because it's like it either is or it's not. We don't have this middle ground. Oftentimes people think they can sit the middle of the fence, but you can't. You're either all for Christ or you're not. There's no halfway. There's no in between. He told that to the church of Laodicea. I wish you were either cold nor hot, and since you're not, what? I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Do you love God or do you love self? That's where we're at. It's kind of fitting we have communion today. It's fitting every time. But just to take that time to reflect on the truth of the Gospel because that's what it boils down to. It's the Gospel of Christ and the truth that we are sinners saved by grace and grace alone. Not of our own merits so that no man will boast. But we are saved because of the precious blood of Christ. We are saved through the blood of of jesus christ that word through is a really neat greek word and it means a channel of the act so basically if you think of the aqueducts back in the roman days we'll use that for an example because we all like history right so you had these big aqueducts and there was a big half tube that funneled the water where it needed to go that was a channel that that water was to go through that was what christ did for us with salvation it was through christ through the action on the person of Jesus Christ, that salvation came to man. And we get to celebrate that again today. We should celebrate it every day. But we are get to be do it together, one with another, to be able to look at what did Christ do when He came to this earth? Fully God and yet fully man. 1 Corinthians 11 gives us an admonition. But every man must examine himself and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and the drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number asleep, meaning have died. But if uh, if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. Take that to heart. Sit in judgment on your heart. See where you're at. God doesn't put it in here for no reason. And neither should we. And to be honest with oneself, sometimes it's hard to do, sometimes it's easy.